Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Oh my god, Troy, I cannot believe Melanie Griffith herself sent us a lovely, a lovely voice recording of herself just appreciating our willingness to indulge in the movie Body Double. Isn't that just so wonderful of her? Well, what else is she up to? Getting plastic surgery, man. I mean, that face is carved out of marble. But you know what? In this movie, I gotta say, Melanie Griffith physically at her prime. At her prime. Oh, for sure. This is what made her, you know, uh, a big star. You know, she had a little uh, a run there for a while. She was in Working Girl and got an Oscar nomination for Working Girl. Remember Working yeah. Girl? Oh yeah. Yeah. I oh mean, yeah. She had a little she had a little a span there where she was pretty hot. Pretty hot. She got to marry Don Johnson have that lovely child dakota yeah she you know she has her own little kind of niche uh kind of engraved in the the great wall of cinematic history right there in like the late mid late 80s into the early 90s up through milk money i would say <laughs> that's about when it started to drop off but for a moment there she really left an imprint um and she's definitely one of those actresses you know in the right role she can run away with the movie in the wrong role she can sink it and i do think that this is a role that capitalized on all of melanie griffith's uh finest attributes dare i say (laughs) (laughs) well i was surprised to see that she did get a golden globe nomination for it and she actually won like um the national board of review best supporting actress award for it and like new york film critics award so i mean there had to have been some oscar buzz around her performance and it was i mean she's not terrible but by any means but it's not type it's kind of like not a typical performance you would think of as being like oh critical darling we're gonna get we're gonna throw some awards at it but i thoroughly enjoyed it the film definitely definitely picks up steam when she appears unfortunately it's late in the film she's only in it about the last 30 minutes so you have to sit what you have to watch before that uh it could be argued i think we're gonna we're gonna have some some opinions i think on this film i had never seen this so this was a first time viewing for me. I always remember the VHS box art, the person peeking in, watching the, the woman, you know, inside her bedroom. I always remember the box art, but I had never actually seen this movie. So you forced me, Roger, to watch this. And I, I'm I'm glad I did. I can check it off a, a list now. Yeah, it's a really interesting experience because this movie is like so many different things it, it, in one. It's like it's like De Palma took like 10 different genres and threw them in a blender and like let it all just kind of like 
go to work and get really fucking crazy. And he has all kinds of unique, fun camera angles and rotating effects. But then there's other moments that feel very Hitchcockian. And it's just like all kinds of things uh, thrown together into one project. And in some ways, it works, in my opinion. In other ways, though, the pacing, um, his his choices to focus on certain moments for an elongated period of time, it can often lose steam. But I do think for the moments in this movie that are entertaining, uh, there's very other, there's very few other films I would say that I could compare this to. Um, maybe there are other films in tone that try to achieve the same thing, but this movie just kind of goes there. I mean, it fucking goes there in so many senses of the word, but mostly it goes there for the erotic factor because this is an erotic thriller. And I'll tell you right now, (laughs) if you're somebody who likes severe erotic with your thriller, this is going to give it to you. This is a thriller made for people who just like porn. People who like porn, if you like this movie, you're probably going to find something to like about Body Double by Brian De Palma. Wouldn't you say so? Oh, it gives you a, a pretty decent little glimpse into like the porn industry during the 80s. I mean, Melanie Griffith, if you've never seen the film, she plays a porn star. She's like the hottest porn star in, in the industry. Holly Body. Holly Body. Also, Troy's grinder handle name. Just to, just to point <laughs> that out. Give that away. Oh, now they know. <laughs> uh, now they know it's me behind the. It's just a torso, but now they know. That. Oh, now I mean this. In fact, this film itself is actually Troy's biopic, uh, Body Double. This is how Troy rose to fame within the horror movie <laughs> circuit, playing the Body Double for Melanie Griffith. <laughs> I knew you'd have been like, "How old were you in 1984?" <laughs> well, I mean, you're probably not legal, so that's let's remove that joke. No, um, but yeah, no, it, this film is something I've been kind of sitting on and wanting to talk about with you for a while because you had mentioned you haven't seen it and. Like, it's it's just something. I saw it, and I was lucky enough, the first time I ever saw it, I saw it on the big screen at, at the Cleveland Cinematheque. And it was a De Palma double feature. It was, um, and it was this and fucking Dress to Kill. And it was, it was my first time seeing both of them, so it kind of blew me away. But God, it went on forever. <laughs> because this movie alone, it's, it feels long. I mean, you're right. You're waiting for Melanie Griffith. If you're coming for Melanie Griffith, Pack a lunch because because you are going to be waiting at least an hour and 10 minutes before she even graces the screen. And even before anything porn based in general really graces the screen, it's one completely different movie. And then all of a sudden you introduce the viewer to the world of the porn industry in the last 40 minutes and it suddenly takes on a completely different tone. So it it's kind of jarring, but in a way I also kind of appreciate it. I feel it's kind of gutsy. What do you think? Um... It's gutsy in in certain respects, you know. Uh, definitely the narrative structure. Uh, there are some bold choices made, some 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 creative choices, and yeah, like you said, some gutsy choices. This film, you know, Columbia Pictures put it out. It, it hit theaters, and it really, um, you know, is a is a film that's not necessarily what I would call maybe mainstream. So in that respect, I do see that definitely there, you could say it was gutsy because again, the narrative structure is not traditional. Um, there are very long parts of the film where it seems nothing is happening or very little is happening or you're following characters around. Um, it's not very engaging, uh, but we're, we're going to get there. I, ha- I do have a lot to say about the film and I definitely want to dive in. But before we do that, just two quick shout outs. We always ask for you to give us a rating on apple Podcasts. we did get a new five-star rating and review they actually wrote 
very nice, kind words about our podcast. So thank you, Little Do 23, for the wonderful review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, you made our days. You did. We, okay. Not just day, days, multiple days. We check it. <laughs> yeah, we check them. And I mean, we always get excited and screenshot each other when we see a new review or our or five star, you know, goes up. It's exciting for us because we, we put a lot of time and effort into this. So little things like that definitely are rewarding for us. So if you you know, have a minute and you have an iPhone, just open the Apple podcast app and click on the little five stars. It would mean the world to us. Our, our Patreon is kicking Roger. We're, we're back up to double. We're back up to I double know. digits on our Patreon. I know, I know I'm proud and we're dropping more content. We just recorded our talking body segment last night. That's going to drop, but we have all kinds of, we have, we're going to do a review of Tiffany, the doll. Megan, who we are doing Tiffany the fucking doll. And if you don't know what it is, look it up on Tubi, and I guarantee you're going to want to tune in to hear it. <laughs> and it's not Tiffany the doll as in the bride of Chucky either. It is another, shockingly enough, Tiffany the doll. There's more than one. I would love to see a versus match between those two specific Tiffany's. I think that could be something really fun. But for now, we just have Tiffany the doll. And yeah, honestly, uh, if this isn't motivation for you to check it out subscribe to our patreon i don't know what the fuck is to be honest yeah so thank you paul Harmon, for joining we truly appreciate it dustin putnam was another recent one that joined at the ten dollar level we had a couple people up there up their um, pledges to $10. Simon Logan came back. So we are kicking and there's great content and check it out. Patreon.com slash dark night of the podcast or the links in the show notes. But right now it's all about bodies. All right. Talking bodies, but we're talking some, some, <laughs> some different specific, types of bodies. very specific body types in this uh, nude ones, uh, lots of breasts, and lots of asses with holly leaves tattooed upon them. I mean, one thing to say about body double is it simply does not skimp on the volume of body. And not corpses, as you would hope for from a you know a movie that's at least a thriller. It's promising some sort of form of a head count, I would assume. Uh, no, it, instead it just gives you a plethora of nudity from beginning to end. This movie has more boobs in it than I have seen in most porns. Um, and I appreciate that aspect about it. Uh, it really is the single trashiest thriller I have personally ever seen in my life. Well, you know, it's De Palma and De Palma's stamp is all over the film for sure. A lot of his trademark uh, filmmaking techniques are on prominent display. The film also at times feels very Hitchcockian, which is also, you know, I mean, but De Palma, huge influence um, from Hitchcock. So it's, it, there are scenes in body double that remind me of scenes from dress to kill that remind me of scenes of Carrie. I mean, again, this is, if you want to see like, you know, study a director and, and their, um, their trademark and their style, this is quintessential Brian De Palma. Absolutely. And in, in a lot of ways, it really is a great strength to the film because visually, the movie is sumptuous. I mean, there's so many great, not just camera shots, angles, and motion, lots of fluidity, uh, you know, visually that the camera is often in motion over the course of this film and it's used very strategically for some really great moments, but also like the locations, the colors when they choose to use them, even the wardrobe. This movie is set in Hollywood. Um, and parts of it within the Hollywood Hills. And so you feel like you're getting that like full on 
right up in your face in the very best possible way. This movie does feel like the environment around it. Well, and it deals with, I mean, it deals with the film industry. The film opens up with this score that implements howling, you know, werewolves howling. Oh, oh. And this very like generic, those very generic, like bloody letters that you see like on if you open up a uh, Microsoft Word and you're searching for a, a scary looking um, font, it's that very traditional one. That's the, that's what we get. But then we also get <laughs> a vampire in his coffin who literally, I mean, the film opens with his face. Like he's supposed to be getting up, waking up from, from his slumber and his, his mouth goes agape. You see his fangs and he has his blonde hair and he's all, but, but he just freezes. And it's very uncomfortable because this man is staring at the camera with his mouth wide open for about 45 seconds before <laughs> anything is said. I thought maybe my thing froze. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> it opens with such an unexpected sense of humor. But honestly, I really appreciate about this movie. Uh, I, this vampire look he has literally, it looks to me like Billy Idol and Dee Snyder fucking <laughs> had a, a vampire child. It is so absurd. It is like Lost Boys all over it, you know? And, like, this movie, it, for the most part, is it's telling a rather dry, serious story, but there's so much humor injected throughout the course of it. Lots of really almost kind of in-your-face humor. Like, that font you mentioned is very intentional because you learn that Within the movie, they're filming a vampire film called Vampire's Kiss. <laughs> and it's so like low budget, shitty, cheap. Like he's this actor who's kind of taking any role he can get. And he's playing this like comedically like lost boy-esque vampire role in this just bullshit movie. So to open it with this font choice is super intentional. And it's really kind of like a wink at the audience. Well, we find out that this actor, his name is Jake Scully, and he becomes our main protagonist. This dude is in virtually every frame of the film. I mean, this is definitely his film. Uh, you know, he's serviceable, the actor. What do you think? I think in some of the scenes with the right, like opposite the right actors, he can be really good. Like when he's acting off of Sam, they have some really natural chemistry. But I think sometimes when it's just him on camera, he feels a little like of that era, a little bit bigger, you know? Uh, other horror fans are going to recognize him as um, as Neil Gordon from Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. So, I mean, this, this is an actor that we've seen in other titles. But yeah, I, I really don't mind him in the role. Why? Do you not, do you not love him in the, the role? No, well, I guess my one of my notes was that I really wish they would have gotten a little bit more of an engaging leading man. I don't want to say he's bad. It's Craig Wasson uh, as the actor. I don't want to say he's bad. It's just he's not very charismatic. Not that, exactly. Doesn't have a lot of charisma. And you, when you're asked to follow this gentleman around for the entire film, because like I said, he is virtually in every film or every frame of the film. He's. Yeah, there's just something really lacking, like personality-wise, uh, very flat. There are some moments where he does try to project some emotion, and it just, to me, it sounds unrealistic. It sounds like acting. Uh, so, I mean, that was my biggest thing, is like I wanted a more charismatic leading man to carry this film. Again, he's serviceable. He's serviceable. 
but we find out that he has claustrophobia and so he freezes up in tight spaces and we do find out why the director of this vampire kisses is played by none other than um, dennis franz who we all know and love right sends him home he's like i can't be doing this just you know you you're 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 tired you need to go home and rest come back we'll make it work so before he get before he goes home he hops in his little convertible he drives over to a hot dog stand he gets some hot dogs he's gonna go home to surprise his girlfriend with some nice hot dogs little does he know she's already getting some hot dog herself oh my god and if it's a blink if you'll miss her but if you catch her you're gonna know it <coughs> cameo from none other than uh, none other than our favorite Barbara Crampton. It is Barbara Crampton, a very, very brief. I mean, we get a shot of her riding some guy, some guy, and she's like, oh. and then she looks at him with kind of like sort of regret. I don't know what type of look it's supposed to be. It's kind of weird. It's like one moment she's like looking at him like, oh, I'm sorry. But then she like looks gone at the guy and kind of smirks. Well, and she has like a moment where she's like almost like panting from the orgasm she just had. Because what do you see her at first? When he opens that door, it is a full body full frontal nude shot where her crotch is only like partially covered by her hand by the way she's positioned but the gentleman is clearly like just squeezing on her honkers like it is graphic (laughs) it is really like a a really bold way to start the film because this is just the first couple minutes and we're already getting a full frontal sex shot oh and it's intense yeah so of course jake sees this and he scuttles out of the house goes to the neighborhood pub that he likes to drink at although the bartender is very surprised that he orders some jack daniels because he says i thought you gave up drinking and jake says don't worry about it just keep them coming and the bartender you can tell they have a relationship they know each other the bartender asks him about carol he's he can tell that something's bothering jake so he's like what is it carol jake's response is you're a bartender not a fucking psychiatrist so keep them coming fill keep them filled and the bartender's like, well, you film yourself. And it just comes out that where this leads to is the fact that the bartender finds out through Jake and his apology that he caught Carol cheating on him and he has nowhere to stay. So that evening, the bartender lets him stay at his apartment. Um, the next morning, he sees an ad in the paper for actors for a Shakespeare film festival, which sounds like a total hoot. <laughs> And he goes to audition for it. And there's this weird scene where he like goes into the audition room and sits in the table and it's a big long conference table. And, and everyone there is just like stares at him. (laughs) And then the scene just cuts. This man has so much anxiety (laughs) portrayed on screen over the course of this movie. Like he is an anxious mess from beginning to end. And anytime he's going into any of these scenarios, he feels like his character feels very like inadequate and ill-prepared um, especially up against some of the other people you see him compared to other guys and so forth. He's so like frumpy. Um, it's at times like it's kind of hard to root for him almost because he's just so um, uh, uncomfortable and awkward. You know what I mean? It's also hard to root for him because of the choices he makes in the film. He's not that great of a person. Oh, no. Like th- this guy is does not is not like somebody that we necessarily should be rooting for, which again makes the film just gives the film that much more, um, I don't know, layer or level of uneasiness throughout it because he is presented as, oh yes, we are supposed to be rooting for this guy. We are supposed to be caring what's happening to him and around him. But at the same time, 
He's kind of a shitty person. Oh, he makes so many bad choices over the course of this movie. It really is difficult beyond like the acting performance. Cause I do see kind of what you say about the character uh, or the performance given for the character. Some of the bigger, more emotional moments do feel a pinch more wooden. I'll say that. But more than that, really my, I think my big issue is he's just an unlikable male lead. Like uh, so many of his defining aspects are, like character weaknesses. Like he's got this crazy absurd claustrophobia where he can't walk through fucking tunnels. He is uh, losing his job because he can't really perform, you know, in his career. He loses his relationship because I'm sure she's fucking over it. Obviously she's looking for Dick elsewhere. No fucking wonder this guy's a fucking loser. And he just really doesn't have a redeeming characteristic. The only reason he gets involved with anything we learn is because he's also a goddamn voyeur. So, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be rooting for here. Well, after this awkward scene of him going into the boardroom to audition and people just staring at him, it then cuts to apparently his acting class. Oh my god. (laughs) Where his acting teacher is like, trying to pull out childhood memories from him to, in order to enhance his performance in order, in order to draw from these experiences to use them in the craft of acting. So the story is told that when he was a kid, him and his brothers were playing this game called sardines. He was the sardine and he jammed himself to hide behind a freezer. And he got stuck and he couldn't get out. And this is the root cause of his claustrophobia. And instead of being like, oh, yeah, that's kind of a sad story. This acting teacher is like egging him on. Is like, you need to you need to cry out. Why can't you cry? Out? Are you a baby? And it gets really intense to the point where this poor Jake is almost in tears <laughs> as this acting teacher is yelling at him. You must act. You must act. His fear here is, OK, I get it. I, I'm irrationally scared of cars. If you put me in a car, I would not be able to drive. But if you needed to get me into a set to pretend to be driving a car, I'd be fine. I could do it. This man, I get it. You're scared of tight spaces. That game of sardines sounded horrifying for you. I mean, I would laugh at him from a distance as I watched him get removed from the fucking cooler as he's slammed between it. But, you know, I'm sure it was very scary for him. At the end of the day, though, I don't feel like his reaction here in the sequence is warranted i mean he's like he's like i'm the sardine i can't scream like it's so stupid it's just not big enough of a deal for me to actually feel invested in this character no he says he can't scream because he's scared of his brothers my brothers will beat me up i'm the sardine and this it's so ridiculous and again he begins to weep like literally weep so one of the gentlemen in the audience stands up his name's sam he finally speaks up and tells the acting teacher you're out of line this is acting class you shouldn't be shouldn't have to be abused in acting class and he gets jake and they they, they leave the acting studio and go to a bar and they bond over just basically jake spilling everything that's happened to him in the last couple of days he he's lost he's caught his girlfriend in bed with another man he has nowhere to stay and then he has this comment that he makes <laughs> is that when he caught her with the other man her face was glowing and then there's that whole little bit of dialogue and i will say i think sam is pretty engaging on camera where he's like glowing 16 years i didn't get a fucking glimmer let, let alone a glow out of her um I, I do like that little banter there i do think that sam brings out some of the better acting out of 
out of Scully because some of their little moments are very natural. I also like this moment coming up here in a moment where they where he takes Scully inevitably to what is this mansion or whatever the fuck you want to call this UFO house <laughs> that we're about to to visit, which is like kind of the main one of the main locations of the movie. Um, I do think that they have some really good interactions. I do like this bar scene, and I think Sam is one of the strongest aspects of the movie. We just don't get a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Sam is definitely a intriguing character, an interesting character. And yeah, we get to go to this place, and it's, it looks like a UFO. You have to like take this elevator up to it, and it literally is, is a UFO shape. This fucking UFO house. Imagine... Imagine being up there when a fire broke out in the kitchen, having to take that goddamn freight elevator all the way down, slowly descending that hillside to escape. It is v- such an extreme location, but it is hard to deny that it's it's so unique that it's cool. Like, I've never seen anything like this before, so it makes for a very um, enticing set piece. Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing to look at. Ama- amazing visually. There are some great, like... Uh, aerial shots of it and you know with it all lit up and stuff and in the inside is very cool there's like a rotating bed but roger the ufo house has one special feature that sam cannot wait to show jake and that is a telescope i was gonna say is it the large volume of plants that would makes me assume that a homosexual owns this house (laughs) there's a there's a large amount of plants and in order for jake to stay there he has to agree to take care of the plants that's one of the stipulations but the house has this very special feature which is a telescope that is directed at a mansion beautiful mansion in the hills beyond this house so sam tells jake to have a look through the telescope and he looks and it happens to be pointed right at this bedroom window where this and this woman barely clad in in like a nighty and, and negligee starts to do a dance, erotic dance. <laughs> a few things with this. First of all, this whole voyeur's prowling on an unexpected or unsuspecting woman as she's undressing is very in my mind it's problematic it's a problematic story arc i'll roll with it like i get that we're getting to a a greater uh point overall at the course of the movie um but it's just it is kind of unsettling it's creepy that this man his main goal for a while becomes watching this woman through the window i mean it's very much like a rear window but trashier storyline. Um, and it does involve this this enticing little dance number. It also involves like every time you know he's going to go and be a voyeur, like this like very like Phil Collins-esque like musical buildup always starts. It sounds like the beginning to like take, take me home, because I can't remember. You know, it's like that kind of like kind of like light rhythmic sound. Um, and it's really kind of like a fun usage of score but every time it happens it always happens like the same exact way where you hear this like kind of like sexy but feisty music start rising up over this what is like this montage footage of this woman changing and getting dressed set to music so it's really kind of a unique choice i guess i like it but i wouldn't have expected it in this movie at all um and then you're also you're gonna tell me that this dame goes through like this exact shtick every night it makes no sense. <laughs> that, no, no, it doesn't. That's what he, but that's what he tells Jake that she does this every night, like clockwork. And I mean, this is erotic. It goes on for a while. She's rubbing her, she's rubbing her tits. She lays down on the bed and starts like fingering herself. 
Um, and he's just watching in glee. Sam has to go. So he's like, hey, I'm going to take off. Remember, water the plants. I'll see you later. Of course, you know, Jake kicks back free um, free bar. I did uh, open bar. Hey, the, whatever you want from the bar. I did hear that. So he's having some whiskey and watching TV, but he gets bored. And of course, like the temptation of this telescope is too much. So he goes back in and looks at it. And this time he sees the woman sleeping, but there's a man in her bedroom, like going through her stuff and taking money, I'm assuming, because she wakes up and confronts him. So obviously she knows him like she doesn't like scream and run away. She's trying to get, you know, confront him for taking the money and he slaps her and then like pushes her on the bed. And this is when this dude's acting, this Jake's acting. He's like, oh, no. That bastard. Yes, it's very like early 80s in the delivery. I'll agree on that as well. So he watches this dude slap this girl throw on the bed. The dude takes out out of the house and it cuts to the next morning when Jake's agent calls him with more bad news because he's been fired from Vampire's Kiss. <laughs> this guy can't catch a fucking break. And the di- director is like such a feisty piece of shit. You have a few scenes with this guy where he just kind of like erupts on him. Um, but you know, right now he's talking to his agent and he even says to the agent, like, well, you know, who is it who replaced me? And he's like, another person I represent. It's one of my clients. And that like, has to be like such like a blow to the ego. Oh my God. What does Jake do? He goes to confront the director on set and he's like, why did you fire me? You promised me that I'd have a job. And if I came back, I'd have the job. And the director just like blows up out at him and they get into this yelling match and basically the directors is like, I don't have time for your claustrophobic bullshit. Get the fuck out of here and has him kicked out. So what does Jake do? He goes back to the UFO house that night, gets back on the telescope to watch another strip tease. And, and God, that woman is there doing it at the same time. Same time, same place, same rhinestone garter belt. I mean, it is it, 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 verbatim. It is the, the exact same strip tease. And like, I get it. Who doesn't like having a glass of of Chardonnay and dancing around in a silken robe, but same time, same place, like same exact little dance number. Isn't it like fully choreographed? Like has she had this down pat for how long? How long has this woman been doing this that he knows like clockwork? It's apparently a long time because we she does the exact same dance in her in her in her new film that we learn about towards the end of the we movie. Do. We're not spoiling anything. If you haven't seen Body Double, go, go see it. Go see it because I mean it is sort of a twist ending. We don't want to ruin your body double experience. But yeah, she does this exact same movements, exact same laying on the bed, playing with her pussy, all that fun stuff uh, until he notices there's this creepy looking figure on what is it like a satellite dish? Yeah, there's this guy. What is, doing this, fucking, like, what is he doing? Is he like welding? He's well, I know, but I'm like, what is he? He's welding on a satellite dish in the middle of a field. And then let's talk about this man for a minute. <laughs> There's some okay. Well, he's <sighs> this man looks like. Have you ever seen the room, Troy? You know yes. the movie, the room. Have you ever you know Tommy Tommy Wiseau? Yeah, it looks like him on a bad day with a tan. Like this this man, and I know it's all part of the final reveal. Okay, but upon first viewing, when you see this man's face, it is really hard to take in. This man is a rough looker. 
No, he's a rough looker. He's creepy. I was wondering what the fuck it is because the the face, the the skin on the face is very like like you said, very wrinkly. This black ponytail pulled back. But again, it was really hard for me to figure out what was he doing. But then you do get the the revelation that he's actually spying on this woman as well. He's on this like satellite pretending to weld or whatever so that he can spy on this woman as well. And Jake catches him doing that. The next morning, as Jake is coming home from gro- with groceries in his, in his little convertible that he flies around town in the entire movie, he sees the neighbor that he's been spying on leaving her house. Oh, she's stunning. She is stunning. Okay, so this is Deborah Shelton, who she is a former Miss USA. A little bit of trivia. She was Miss USA in 1972, and she was first run up to Miss Universe. She's lovely, but it's also to be acknowledged that this is, while this is very much her face, it is not her voice. It is, it's it's the voice of Helen Shaver from Tremors 2. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carolyn from the the Amityville Horror. I mean, she's she's been in quite a few titles that we would recognize. Uh, but my favorite is definitely uh, Tremors Two: Aftershock, in which she plays Doctor Kate Riley. Why did they dub this actress's? Because literally, De Palma did not like the initial actress's voice. <laughs> okay, which is a very De Palma decision to make. I, I, yeah, it does. You can tell, and I have that note, you can tell that her dialogue is dubbed. And I could tell that it wasn't her voice because I've heard her speak before. Because she's been in other stuff. And like I said, I was I was a big pageant fan. I was. <laughs> I used to look up old Miss were. USA pageants on YouTube and watch them. And I watched the one where she won. She was Miss Virginia. Oh, she looks like a Miss Virginia. You can talk. I mean, she talks. She interviewed. Yeah, I was like, why, why is it not her voice? Uh, but I guess maybe it was a Southern southern drawl she had i don't know um that he didn't want to um who knows because this this the dubbing decision also i think sometimes pulls me out of what's going on because it's so clearly not her voice yeah i mean she doesn't say a ton overall a lot of what she does is from a distance uh through a telescope um but when she does eventually talk yeah it is it's jarring it's i mean it's Already, it's an American actress being dubbed by an American actress's voice. So at least like the lips match, but it's still clearly not this woman's voice and it does throw you off. So as he's pulling in, he does see like someone in this, like standing outside this Bronco watching her. And as she pulls out, because there's these uh, uh, yard workers that are picking up debris in the middle of the street. So all of all three of them are literally stopped there. But as she goes, he notices that the Bronco like makes a beeline and follows her so he starts to follow her and they end up going to like this hotel like mall thing and she of course uses valet to park her car they all get out at the same time it's so how this is structured is just so like there's it just falls into place like they all arrive at the same time she gets on the phone he's right there she's talking on the phone and he's eavesdropping and she's like yes he hit me again I need to talk to somebody. We can meet at the beach motel and I'll wear something special. And he's just (laughs) spying on this poor woman. And he follows her through this mall to the store where she decides she's going to try on some panties. Which I think that's kind of unsanitary. They don't allow you to do that anymore, do they? But not only that, but when she goes in the dressing room to try these panties on, she leaves the wide open. She doesn't close the. There's a lot of 
lot of things to pick up real quick here, leading up to the panty sequence. Because I, I do gotta say, I've gotta say, the execution of this sequence is really, I think, uh, fun and well handled. Um, and I like, like, even yeah, they're all getting out of their cars at the same time. I understand that, but I love how the the camera's moving through all these different areas of that parking garage. Like, it's really like a well played, well sequenced. A series of events and you know he is following her for a long time it is very creepy it does make you feel like he is kind of the villain because he is definitely stalking this poor woman but it's shot in such like a um a really artistic way lots of zooms lots of de palma zooms you know you get that great zoom in on the escalator and so forth as it pulls back to reveal how big the mall is it really makes a fun usage of this space so i like the sequence but when you get to that goddamn lingerie store where you have that harsh Russian woman working the counter. Then I was like, that's Troy's cameo. If we ever remake body double, Troy is doubling. He's body doubling as this Russian woman at the counter. She's in this great striped one piece romper and she looks very harsh and she has a thick accent and she calls the security on him because she's very aware that this man is watching a woman change through an open curtain. Yes. And again, this scene goes on for quite some time. Um, it's, it's long, it's long. It's drawn out. The walk through the mall, him following her through the mall is very long and drawn out. Uh, once she gets there, the whole trying on panties and him watching her, it, it's very drawn out. Uh, and yeah, very De Palmish. It reminds me of like, you know, the, the museum scenes from dress to kill very much. So, you know, so yeah, yeah. But yeah, security comes and runs Jake off. But he doesn't like leave like you would think he'd be like, oh, they're on to me. I better leave this poor woman alone. No, he continues to follow her. He follows her out the mall. They get into an elevator together where they're literally like standing next next to each other. And then as the elevator goes to the different floors, more and more people flood in and his claustrophobia overtakes him. And you can see him like tensing up really bad. And the last floor the elevator stops on, the doors open, and that 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 horrible looking <laughs> man. Oh, you mean the from the satellite. the man that looks like John Voight in Anaconda after he was digested by the <laughs> Anaconda? That man. Yes. <laughs> That's what yes. he looks like. That man. Keep in mind that man has also been as Scully has been pursuing Gloria around the shopping mall. John Voigt from Anaconda has also been pursuing her, running and like sprinting the wrong way down escalators, like running from floor to floor. He's made it very obvious that he is also chasing Gloria. So Scully does at least have the motivation of like, uh oh, yes, I am stalking this woman, but it's just because I'm a creep. This man is stalking this woman. And I think it's because he wants to harm her. So there does eventually become this element of like, you know, fear for her safety that he does possess. I will admit that for his character. Yeah, you have, I mean, you have these two gentlemen that are stalking this woman and you don't know really their motivations. Like, you know, Jake, initially it seems like Jake was following her because he was worried about the Bronco following her, but now it's become almost like he's obsessing over her to the point where he, she leaves the mall. And as she's leaving, she does drop the panties that she bought into the garbage can and she, he picks them, he p- takes them out of the garbage and sees what they are. And then he proceeds to, she gets her car from valet. He's like, valet, I need my car. Hurry, hurry, hurry. He p- proceeds to follow her to this beach terrace motel. And literally 
is spying on this woman. Like she's making a call and he's hovering over on the patio above her, listening to her. It's excessive. It's excessive. As she's telling someone, I need you. I need you to come. And then that damn, I just call him. I don't know. I called him the disfigured man because his face looks disfigured. This, this man we're talking about, I don't even know what else to call him. The leather faced man. The leather faced man. But yeah, so that dude shows up and finally she walks out to the beach and Jake approaches her to tell her that someone's following her. And her response is in her, not her voice. I know. And at this moment, the disfigured man comes charging at them and grabs her purse and steals this woman's purse as Jake has to chase him down. Okay. I understand claustrophobia, Roger. I really do. But this tunnel is at least nine feet wide. Oh my God. It's such a big tunnel. And this is not like he's crawling through a sewer tunnel. I mean, this tunnel is about the size of a normal walkway and halfway through the tunnel this dude has a claustrophobic panic attack it is definitely not warranted especially because everything that's that scully has gone through up to this point to find this woman like he's gone through multiple locations he's driven across the entire city now he's chasing this man with the leather face who's stolen the purse he almost has him they're running across beaches. That's difficult. Running through sand is so difficult. And it is all very visually pleasant to look at. I want to acknowledge all of this sequence has looked great. They get to this tunnel. And I don't know what the fuck happens. But apparently, if he goes too far into a, a goddamn tunnel and it's too small, triggers a panic attack. Which to me sounds like a, a horrible way to live. I would just be like, kill me now. I can't even through, walk through fucking tunnels. Nine foot tunnels. Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What? It is not warranted. And he then he's having a breakdown. And it's so excessive that even like the leather faced man looks back at him. He's he's like, and he's like, <laughs> like, like celebratory, like cheers. And he steals something from the purse and runs off. And then the broad shows up and she's like, and she's like, are you okay? With her smoky voice. And he's like, I need your help. And she's going to like walk him out. Even she looks like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, the whole thing is unacceptable on that man's behalf. Uh, then the, this next part confused me. She, they, they go out of the tunnel and there's very little dialogue between them when they start to kiss. What the fuck <laughs> happens here? Because Troy, I forgot that this happened so abruptly, but literally it's, it's basically Gloria walks him outside. She's like, are you all right? And he's like, um, um, and then he just looks at her, and then we're treated to, like, literally like an eight-minute long makeout sequence. But when I say makeout sequence, I mean, like, this thing keeps on going. He's undressing her. The camera's spinning around her. He's taking knockers out and squeezing on them. She's standing there, her breast exposed to the public. And, like, literally, like... It, it goes for an uncomfortably long period of time. I was like, God, I was like checking my watch. <laughs> it's like, how much longer are these two going to make out like this in public? And it's that spinning camera effect that we get in the prom scene between Carrie White and Tommy Ross. It's it, it's pretty much replicated here between these two. Although I could give, honestly, I could give a shit less about these two because we know so little about, especially the woman. But then she, yeah, it goes on forever before she's like, no, I can't. And takes off running. <laughs> Like, girl, you sure you sure could for uh, literally what seems to be like about six individual minutes of just passion between you and this random man. Um, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a strange moment. I don't understand what motivated this makeout sequence. Maybe he just had the guts to say, "Hey, I've been watching you from across the way through my window, <laughs> and I've been waiting to make out with you for a while." And she was just kind of like, "Okay, let's go with it." I just don't know why she was so okay with so okay with it to just let this random man who's been pursuing her make out with her like that. It seems like a forced character choice and very DePaul. Yeah, and then the class act that he is. He, he attempts to call her that night and he, he's like, Hey, Hey, it's me. The guy that almost fucked you at the beach today. <laughs> uh, but you know, she doesn't answer. So he doesn't get the privilege to actually saying that to her. Uh, but he does then watch her through the telescope, come home with like a police officer. And at the same moment, Sam calls him and asks about, Hey, have, are you, have, have you been watching our favorite neighbor? And Sam's like, well, yeah, she, she's definitely at it, you know, every night, like you said. And in the meantime, he's continuing to watch her through the telescope when he sees the cop leave. And then she shifts the telescope over to her bedroom. And there is a this disfigured man is in her bedroom holding a large drill. <laughs> what? This, is, this film takes a turn here. I'm going to say it. it does take a shift in a different direction. This man upstairs out of fucking nowhere this comes out of nowhere you are not prepared for him to show up with this goddamn power drill no it's really out of nowhere but i will say this is one of the most exciting sequences in the film what happens from here what do you think about this whole moment that happens here i do i like this moment a lot i like the execution of it i like you know what happens in the culmination of the scene when when he actually when Jake actually gets to the to the house, I like how that plays out. But yeah, it's this is probably the the best scene in the film. It's just like I was trying to wrap my head around if someone wants to kill someone and so bad, what's with the power drill that you have to plug in? Like it's this huge like power drill that you would like drill like cement with. This is not like a little Black and Decker handheld drill. This is one of those huge ones that you have to lug around. And that causes a lot of inconveniences for this gentleman because I assure you, this power drill does come into play. How could it not? Uh, but it really is kind of like an Achilles heel for him a few times over because that cord is quite a problem for him. Um, but this whole sequence here where he's watching, where Scully's watching through the telescope and kind of realizes what's unfolding, the fact that the cop leaves and the moment the cop leaves, the gentleman appears upstairs with the power drill. It's paced out really well, super tense, and it's kind of like palpable for a moment. Like you kind of feel it. You're in it when you're watching this scene, you do get kind of swept away in the anxiety of it all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, you, I also get, I also get really frustrated at Jake because he sees this man is clearly in, in her house with this t tool, this power tool. He's not up to any good, but instead of like calling the police or something, he sits there and just watches through the telescope for minutes before he finally realizes, Oh shit, I should probably call Gloria which is this woman's name. So he tries to call her and right as she picks up the phone, the disfigured intruder grabs the phone from her and starts to strangle her with the phone cord. And it's pretty violent. Like, I mean, he's, he lifts her off the ground with the phone cord and is like straight. I mean, it's, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. This movie is really, you'll find light on the horror and the gore, but, this sequence here, you know, when he dishes it to you, he does give you something 
rather intense. This whole choking sequence, I mean, she's lifted up, her shoes are kicking, uh, she fights back a little bit, you know, she kicks him and she causes him to fall and knock his head on the, the uh, night table and get knocked out for a moment. Uh, it, it, it's not like a quick little moment. Like this whole struggle goes on for a while and it keeps building and building. There's so many levels to it, you know? Yeah. That's what I really like about this, this whole sequence is like when you think something is going to happen, kind of like the opposite does, you know, it doesn't really play out how you would expect. Although the ultimately what happens is what you expect. It just takes a long time to get there. There's all these little bumps before you get to that, that point. Uh, Jake sees this and he immediately runs out of the house and like chases these joggers down these men that are jogging. It's like, you have to help me. Some woman is being killed. Gloria gets up to try to call the police. They answer, but she, all she can do is like cough because she's been choked. I guess that's what we're supposed to be led to believe. She's sitting there on the, the, the 911 operator is like, ma'am, what's your emergency? And Gloria's like, <laughs> just coughing. And this causes the uh, intruder to get up with the drill and he proceeds to drill her in the back with it. But just a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> just enough, a little bit. enough to make it clear that she's going to die. Yeah. So he attacks her with the drill and she's kind of just stands there. She does like back up against the wall, but she's not really trying to fight back. All she's doing is saying, no, please don't. No, please don't. And as he's getting closer and closer to her, it keeps it keeps the camera keeps cutting to the to the cord of the drill it plugged in. And we know at any minute, any second, the cord is going to come unplugged. And of course, that's what happens. Just as he reaches her, the cord comes unplugged. Oh, and yeah, just a whole other layer to all of this. So now she's, you know, able to kind of uh, be free again. She has this moment where she pushes the thing away from her. She pushes herself over the bed. She then manages to completely knock herself out. <laughs> like she, she has one job to do. She makes a run from the guy towards the bed and she trips immediately and gets knocked out for a second. Like this woman can't really do much to defend herself, but it does allow for this great kind of slow moment of him then approaching, plugging it back in, holding the drill over her. And it does build up to what is this impending doom. Oh yeah. I love this part where Jake comes busting in her house, but he's immediately attacked by this dog. The real villain of the fucking movie is that goddamn that fucking, fucking dog. dog. Yeah. Oh my God. That dog does some damage. This looks very painful. I mean, yeah, it latches onto his shoulder and his neck and is just biting the shit out of him. In the meantime, he's trying to get this dog off of him and upstairs right above him, the killer, the intruder has the drill plugged back in. Gloria knocked herself on the floor so she can't get up. He literally stands over this woman and drills through her to the point that the fucking drill bit comes out of the ceiling. And as Jake is laying there being attacked by the dogs, he is watching this bloody drill bit come out of the ceiling. Oh, and it's blood so just, good. Yes. And blood just dripping down. The, uh, the joggers do come in and, and get the dog off of him. And he immediately runs upstairs to find her dead body on the floor. The intruder stealthily escapes. The detective shows up and immediately is like, you're a fucking pervert. You're a peeper and a fucking pervert. What were you doing? Why are you watching this woman? And then, he, then he's sitting there questioning Jake and he sees the panties that are that are in uh, Jake's pocket that he picked out of the trash earlier. And this this detective is like, oh, you're a panty panty sniffer, too, huh? But you know what? I know you didn't do anything. You have you have your witnesses. So you're 
you're good to go. But what do you know about her husband, Alexander? Jake doesn't really know much about her husband because he doesn't really know this woman. And the officer, the detective tells Jake he can go, but he also then, and I was like, yes, because I was thinking the same thing. He also says, you know what? You're to blame for what happened here because you could have saved her if you would have called the police instead of just watching her. Yeah, Detective McLean is definitely accurately accurately accusing Jake of a whole lot of things, of being a pervert, of being a voyeur, just being a downright creep, and accusing him of being the reason that, you know, overall at the end of the day that she um, is is now deceased uh, because he just didn't make the right calls. He didn't call the police. He instead took it on himself. Like if he would have called 911 the moment he knew that guy was in the house, I think, you know, this could have turned out totally differently. So he is very much... Uh, you know, to a certain extent to blame here. And it definitely worth being a suspect, even though we know he is not to blame. I would still, if I was that detective, I would be watching this guy like a fucking hawk, you know, considering that he has that goddamn telescope looking right down at that woman's bedroom. I mean, that is problematic in and in of its own right, you know? Oh yeah, this dude has been spying on this woman the entire fucking film. So he, again, he's kind of scuzzy in his sleazy sleazy and it kind of continues over to what he does next as well because he goes back to the ufo house and watches the tv on the spinning couch the the beds just are rotating he's drinking some jack daniels uh what he sees on tv is a what is it? That's an advertisement for the porn Holly does Hollywood. I mean, what an advertisement this fucking is. First of all, it starts with this older gentleman interviewing this one porn star who just starts rubbing on her jugs right there in the camera. I mean, like, is this how they used to advertise for this shit back in the day? That's what I'm wondering. Like, this is just, what is he, is he watching just cable TV and this advertisement come on? Because it is, it is Holly does Hollywood and you know all the I love all these like critical blurbs that the announcer saying oh uh, AVN called it the gone with the wind of adult films Holly keeps the business where it belongs in the gutter <laughs> the, the awards the awards this film has earned are impressive to say the least I mean this title is definitely recognized as one of the best boards ever made and it does star Holly body herself Melanie Griffith who we do get Right away, a, a shot of her fully nude with nothing but like a fucking uh, like garter on, uh, dancing ass to the camera, tits to the sky, rocking her ass all around in a way that he's very familiar yeah, with. Yeah, so I was going to say, he starts to recognize that it's the exact same dance that the woman he's been watching through the telescope did. And then there's this moment of realization when he cements it, that cements it for him because she bends over to show that, you know, that milky white ass of hers. And she has the exact same tattoo on her ass that he saw in the window watching through the telescope of the woman that he's been watching. So he goes to the video store to buy the movie and he goes home and watches it and he watches her dancing scene and he realizes, yes, this is her. This is absolutely the woman I was watching. It was not Gloria. And then he launches this idea that he's going to audition for a porn movie, right? He goes to the studio to audition and they give him, am I right? They give him the, they give him the role and he goes through. This is a very elaborate uh, plan that he's concocted and it all works and everything goes to plan. He contacts, first he contacts the porn studio and manages to land an audition. Easy as that. 
Then he goes in and he has this very uncomfortable moment where he auditions for the, the porn director who's sitting across from him reading the dialogue with a husky man voice. And then apparently he gets the role. And then pretty soon, before you know it, he's in the middle of what appears to be a lavish porn musical. Where? I have never seen a porn with a cast this large. <laughs> this whole sequence is so out of fucking nowhere. Let, sign me up for this porn. I mean, I would watch this for the sheer entertainment factor alone. This sequence is very out of place here. I feel like they had some extra budget and they're trying to burn it. But you got you got a whole lot of things going for it. First of all, is the fact that you have Frankie goes to Hollywood. Relax. Straight up, just do it when you want to get to it. Relax. Relax when you want to come. <laughs> it is just a barrage of porn stars and this made-up man who's singing the relax song guiding jake through this labyrinth of of porn stars dancing on cars and shaking their asses and it it, it is like a music video it's like what the hell am i watching how what how, what yeah it's it's really weird because you know obviously you know that is probably one of their biggest there, it is their biggest hit of all time. Let's be real. You know, it, it, this track is a very well-known song. It has very sexual connotations, a very gay themes to it as well, and that all plays really well into this moment. Um, but what, what's so strange about this is, like, at first you're watching it, you don't even realize that you're watching kind of a scene within the scene. This is this lead up into the, in this porn sequence, but it is it is it's like Moulin Rouge scale grand and. It is very fun. Like, it sucks you in. The song is so perfectly placed here. It's got this, like, fucking just pumping energy going on. Everybody he walks by is, like, bobbling and dancing to the music. He keeps passing all these women, you know, and they're all just kind of, like, vibing to the music. And then he goes into a room that's labeled simply sluts. <laughs> so, that, so he goes to the slut room. And in there, there's more people. They're all just grooving and dancing. I fucking love this sequence i'm all about it i know it's weird i know it feels kind of out of place but you know what i'm on board 110 percent. what did you think of this scene oh i mean it's just over the top craziness i mean it does not fit the film i mean the film the first half of the film what we've watched so far was definitely sort of like to me a hitchcockian tribute you know there's a lot of almost like rear window meets Whatever. So the film with this particular scene, it just takes such a drastic tone shift. But I also feel like this is where the film picks up and gets really interesting. Oh, yeah. This is where there's a big shift in tone. Yes. And I, I actually like the last 30 minutes of the film quite a bit. The There's certain things I like about the first hour and a half, but this last 30 minutes is is just a, a hoot you even get Breek stevens coming out of the slot room oh yeah a little quick moment of her just you know welcoming him, <laughs> him to the to the world of sluts apparently but he goes into the slut room and there you have holly body melanie griffith in the room and he and she's like touching herself sensually and he walks in the room and says i like to watch and they begin to fuck this is the he's doing porn now. He's fucking her on camera. Yeah, and say what you want about Melanie Griffith. You know, like earlier we said, you know, she's sometimes she's great, sometimes she's a little cringeworthy, but I mean, Melanie Griffith and her baby doll stripper voice, I can't imagine a better role for her. Everything about this Roxette-esque vibe. It's like Roxette if Roxette did porn because there's a lot of leather. There's this platinum blonde like kind of you know spiked up hairstyle she's rocking and she just looks 
ferocious and fierce and confident. And what I really like is, you know, she's a, she is a supporting character in this. Overall, she is not the focus, and she's only in this final, you know, third of the movie. But you really get a good idea of who this character is, and even some of her vulnerabilities and some of her nuances. Uh, I wouldn't expect to get that from this character, and I think that's probably why she got some of the recognition she did. Is she took this really just kind of raunchy sexual character, and she gave her a lot of a, uh, a lot of heart. I feel. Oh yeah, I like this character a lot. There is a like, like you said, there's a lot of, um, a lot of heart to the character, a lot of dimension to the character. You you do get to know. I mean, you get to know a lot about this character in her brief introduction when actually the, she has some dialogue with with Jake. I mean, you can you can tell. Uh, I like the way that she played this character. Like she's not ashamed. She's not anything like that. This is how she is. She's no nonsense. She has her set things she's going to do and the set things she's not going to do. She's going to stick to it. She's all about professionalism. And yeah, you really, really do like this character quite a bit, but they, they do, they do fuck and there's no cum shot because you know, they didn't get the cum shot. And so after they film their little scene together, he goes into her dressing room and he, now he has a whole new look and vibe to him. Yeah. I don't know what's with this whole sleazy, slicked back porn star thing he's going with i know he's playing a character but he's taken his old actor aspect you know he's a performer i think he's taken it a pinch too far with this role it was a definitely a little bit of an interesting choice now because he comes he's he's talking different he's talking like a you know a, a sleazy porn producer would he has his hair slicked back he's wearing like a red suit now completely different character than what we've seen up until this point i mean this this is a guy that literally had a panic attack in a nine foot wide tunnel but now he's this confident suave porn producer that he goes he has so much confidence he tells her i want you in my next film and she's like oh is that so well here's a list of things i won't do i'm not going to do fisting water sports nobody's coming out of my face and i get two thousand dollars a day i love the way she delivers this monologue she's like i do not do any animal acts i do not do any snm of any variation or that particular event no water sports either. I will not shave my pussy. No fist fucking and absolutely no coming on my face. Like the way she like just knocks it out. Like you know that this girl has this sh- this whole shtick uh, rehearsed and recited. She knows exactly every word verbatim because she has given this whole monologue before. And it's like just second nature for her. It feels so natural uh, for her. And and, and I, I don't know. Again, like Melanie Griffith bring, brings this air of just like realism to this character that could have felt so like over the top she feels so uh down to earth yeah i mean real down to earth i love the confidence that she has you know and they she he um she tells him that they have a deal because he tells her that's not a problem there is this moment where he's like you know what i watched holly does hollywood and you know you are a good actress you were stellar and you have a great smile and she kind of chuckles at that Oh, but I feel bad because I feel like it does register as though she like never gets these kinds of compliments. Well, yeah, because when he says you have a great, she automatically interrupts him and says body. He says smile. And she just has this little chuckle like he's charming the shit out of her. I do like this little moment on the way out when they run into his friend Kimberly. Oh, my God, this broad. Yeah, who is a fellow actress. She doesn't know that he's. This whole setup is Kimberly's a fellow actress. He's walking out with Holly 
And Kimberly's like, "Hey, so you're working? Are, are you're working? Eh?" And she and he says, "Yeah." And Kimberly says, "Aren't you going to introduce me to your friend?" And and Jake says, "Yeah, yeah. This is Holly Body." And Holly shakes her hand. And Kimberly mentions that she's an actress too. And Holly, thinking that they're that Jake is a porn actress, thinks that she's a porn actress. And she's like, "Oh, I thought I knew everyone in the business." And it just it all culminates in Kimberly asking Jake if he knows anybody that has work for her that might have a role that she could audition for. And Holly jumps in and gives her this porn director's <laughs> information though. Kimberly doesn't know it's a porn director. And Holly is actually like still doing it from like the kindness of her heart. Like she's a- absolutely like not being a bitch about it at all. She's like, Oh, like, yeah, I definitely, I know somebody who would be perfect for you. Tell him I sent you. Here's his name and number. And, uh, and then, like, at the end of it, like, the woman's like, well, what kind of movie is it? And she's like, oh, comedians, we need more of that in our industry. Like, <laughs> it is, it's just a really genuine little moment. She also says, you don't, you don't mind working with ladies, do you? And Kimberly's <laughs> like, no, of course not. Acting's <laughs> acting. <laughs> it's a fun little moment. It's a fun little moment. It is. It is. This movie does well with those moments. I think one of the reasons maybe that first chunk could lag for some viewers is because there are parts of this movie that like it has enough humor injected in it that like it keeps it moving along but there's this really kind of dry patch for a moment that's all about the mystery and intrigue and while it's definitely entertaining it goes on for a long while without any humor so this whole like final third this final act you get a lot of the humor you get a lot of the personality and a lot of the things that felt maybe the movie was lacking a little bit in that midsection you know Yeah. So he takes her back to his UFO house. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what else to say. (laughs) It is. It's a UFO house. And, you know, she immediately wants to have sex because he's charmed her. He's, you know, given he's going to give her a role in his new movie. Supposedly, he tells her she has a nice smile. But when he gets back and lays him on the bed, he comes clean and he tells her he's not a producer and that he believes that he has seen her somewhere else and she's like well where where would you see me and he says well have you um have you done anything like any extra stuff for anybody and she's like i don't know why are you asking and he basically opens up and tells her you know what i think that you have been dancing at this house and he shows her the house and she's like uh i'm not gonna say i have and i'm not gonna say i haven't but what what why is it why does it matter to you he gets her to admit it because he's like, I, I'm pretty positive that you are the one that's been dancing. And she's like, yeah, somebody, you know, somebody called me and offered me the job. They didn't tell me their names. So they just sent a messenger over with a card key, some money and this brown wig. So I'm going to take the gig at this uh, same moment. Sam calls to tell Jake, hey, some bad news. I'm coming home. So you're going to have to find a different place to stay. Jake makes Holly listen to Sam's voice and says, is that the guy who hired you and she's like yes there's this little moment as well when holly says yes that's him and sam hears it and sam's like oh i hear you have company and jake's like nope i gotta go sorry sam hangs up and uh jake proceeds to tell holly that they were set up by a murderer and you know she wants him to go to the police with her at this moment she is not having any of this she thinks that he is basically a sleazeball, scuzzball, a liar, a pervert. She does not want to go anywhere with him. He has to explain to her, do you realize a woman was killed? And Sam set us up and he wanted me to witness the murder. 
it's, it's this whole like what it was the purpose of this plot right okay so sam basically got jake to stay at this house right and puts this whole seed idea that this woman uh dances at the same time every day knowing that jake was going to look through the telescope so the third night fourth night that jake's there sam knows that uh Jake's going to be looking through this telescope. He's going to have Gloria murdered. Jake will be a witness to it. Jake will see that it wasn't Sam. Jake's going to see that it's this, you know, this disfigured man. So Jay, uh, Sam will have an alibi. So this elaborate plot to make Jake an alibi for Sam killing Gloria is what this whole thing was about. But that seems like a really poorly concocted decision because the issue here is, you know, he's staying at this other house. And so even if the topic of, of his being a voyeur comes up, because obviously he has an alibi, you know, Scully will say, oh, I saw this leather faced man kill this woman and describe it to being someone who is, you know, not Sam. It's still, I think, going to come up that, you know, well, why were you in this location? Why are you, you know, you're house sitting? Okay. Uh, how did you get set up in this location? We want to know who provided this opportunity for you to put you into this house we're going to piece all these parts together and figure out how you are not going to be factored in as part of you know the death of this woman i think that the police would be doing their due diligence and looking into this further and it would still lead back to sam who would be revealed to eventually be dun 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 alexander Ravel. we come to learn that here i think that that this is sloppy sloppy work on alexander's part because there's no way that he wasn't going to be traced back to in some way shape or form just by putting scully into that location to begin with i mean it's still going to point the police in his direction because they're going to want to talk to sam you get what i'm saying well you you would think so but the police seem pretty you know confident that she was murdered by a, a robbery gone wrong that's what they think initially even though when jake does talk to the police officer later on here the police officer does say i do suspect or i did suspect it was the husband because holly will she runs out of the house she takes off she does not by what Jake is feeding her. So she t- runs out of the house and there's this humorous moment where she's running down the stairs, cussing at cussing about uh, porn directors and horrible directors that are, uh, what what words does she use? It's hilarious. She's running down. The- I should have known when he didn't know that the yeah. shot was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, that is a, she is going down the staircase. It is it, extremely steep and a tall staircase. I mean, she's just sprinting down these steps for what seems like hours, this poor woman. Jake does call the police and tell them that he knows who killed Gloria, that it was her husband, Alexander. And that's when the cop on the other end is like, yeah, I suspected the husband, but that, but you, you provided him a pretty airtight alibi or whatever. Holly's out on the road, trying to get these cars to stop. And she's screaming at him, oh, thanks a lot, lady. But she's literally walking down the middle of the road to the point where a car has to swerve to miss her. And she causes this huge pile up. <laughs> she kills people. <laughs> Holly Body is in the middle of the street. A car swerves to miss her. And you just, you don't see it happen. You just hear it happen off camera. But you see her like, oh, my God. As, as these cars, like, you know, get wrecked in front of her. You do later see the aftermath of it, and it is definitely like cars are on oh, fire. Yeah. People definitely died in this accident. It's a pile up. It's a pile up. She's like, oh no. And this Bronco pulls up. And guess who's in the Bronco? That 
that homely man with the bad skin. <laughs> he picks her up. So Jake runs outside to get in his car to head to the police the police department. Uh, and he sees the pileup and he stopped traffic is stopped. You're obviously not going to get past a big old pileup of all these cars. He sees the Bronco in front of him and he, he recognizes that Holly is in the passenger seat. We see her short crop blonde hair and the driver, this disfigured man proceeds to bash her in the head with a crowbar right in the middle of traffic surrounded by police officers in front of a burning pileup. That seems like a horrible idea. Well, even, Jake sees this and he's like gets out of the car and the the police are not like buying it at all. Jake's like, look, there's a woman being, you know, hurt. He's doing something to her. And they're like, get back in your car, get back in your car. The Bronco gets to pull away and Jake basically like kicks the police officer and takes off running after the Bronco. Oh my God. This whole moment with the police officer where he basically beats a cop's ass, but the cop is being unreasonable. Like, you know, Scully is like, listen, I just saw this woman be attacked. And just because the cop can't see it from where he's at, he immediately, like, kind of, like, blows it off. And Scully, of course, gets really uh, aggressive about it. And so the cop's like, I'm going to arrest you. And then Scully kicks him and runs and takes off running for uh, this metal fence that basically leads to, a, like, a do not enter area. Because it's right on the edge of a... Um, like a dam, right? It's like a reservoir, correct? Correct. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's a reservoir. There's like metal piping and dams that cross over it. Um, so he, yeah, he gets, he crosses over and he sees this disfigured man digging a grave with unconscious Holly lying next to it. What a great location for a finale to take place. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. looks really great. Like it does look climactic. Like it is this big like loud the sound of rushing water like all these different levels to this reservoir where the water is cascading down it it does make for a really climactic ending um it is strange to see this man digging this hole uh kind of right out in the open like i feel like it'd be very easy for anybody to stumble upon this that's what i was thinking because honestly jake does not run that far off the road to get to this location like he takes he goes down this uh this little side road and there's, he has to climb this fence and there's this ominous sign that says something like danger, you know, enter at your own risk or something, but he doesn't run that far. And like literally the accident and all the cops are still right there, but he sees this man dig in the grave and he climbs over one of the pipes and gets to get closer to it. And as he approaches the white Bronco and he's watching literally now, he's only probably like 20 feet away from the, from the man digging what, what fucking comes out, out of that fucking Bronco is that fucking dog. This dog it honestly provides the greatest scare in this whole movie, which is like when he's up against the window, he hears growling and all of a sudden he looks into the car and that dog appears out of fucking nowhere. I jumped out of my seat. I forgot this moment happened. Um, and it really was like a really good startle. I got to give it credit. But this dog is fucking terrifying. It's like the most vicious beautiful dog i've ever seen ever but it scares the shit out of me yeah so it it gives it gives um away his location but as when jake looks back he does not see the the man digging the grave anymore so he goes to the grave and it's dark obviously this man certainly dug this large grave rather quickly right or do you think think that was like a time lapse because remember how you said it feels like he got there right away i think he shows up and that's supposed to show that that guy's been digging that hole for a while 
Yeah, he goes to this large grave and looks down it, and we can't see anything. He's Holly, are you in there? And all of a sudden, he's grabbed by the man and pulled into the fucking grave. Another great startle for a movie that's really not like horror based or full of a ton of scares. This ending actually gives us a few really great moments and two really really good startle moments. So this disfigured man is choking the shit out of Jake, and Jake starts clawing at his face to reveal. Dun, dun, dun. That, no wonder his face looks shitty. It's because it's a fucking latex mask. So you're telling me, I just got to really clarify this, Troy. You're telling me that Sam pulled off Mrs. Doubtfire level prosthetic effects every time he had to go and masquerade as that what appears to be an Indian man as they refer to him. They call him an Indian man. That is what the credits call him. It's very offensive by today's standards, but you're telling me that he puts on literally makeup of another ethnicity (laughs) and masquerades as this guy every time he has to go kill somebody? That sounds exhausting. Well, there are literally moments like when, uh, like at the beginning of the film, like when Sam leaves the apartment, literally 30 seconds later when Jake looks through the telescope that man is in the in glorious house in full get up so yeah the time lapses are not you know very realistic in terms of this man having time to put all this stuff on and then still take it off and come out as sam it's very a very detailed plan to get away with killing your wife but good lord cumbersome cumbersome and and and, you know obviously he has to he feels like he has to kill and now he has to kill holly because Jake is caught on that she's really the one, so he's going to get rid of her. He's going to get rid of Jake. He's choking Jake. Jake has this moment where he goes unconscious and he starts to hallucinate that he's back on that damn vampire set and frozen in the coffin. And the director is like encouraging him, You got to get back. You got to get back to acting. You got to get back to acting. Get back in that coffin. You can do it. And action. And when the director says action, Jake pops up to life and like grabs the shovel. You know, grabs a shovel. They're playing tug of war with the sho- shovel. In the meantime, that fucking dog, this dog, Roger, busts through the car window. <laughs> I don't know how this dog breaks that fucking window, but it does. Yeah, when it comes charging at them and it charges right at Jake, but he moves out of the way just in time to the point where the dog latches onto the shovel, pushing Sam slash Alexander over the cliff into the water below this into the sea below. What a grand finale. I mean, I love that the dog was also one to see their demise as they plummet into the sea beneath them, the surging water. uh, I'm assuming to die. You don't really get like a clear visual of them dying, but it looks like that water is surging pretty fast because of that whole reservoir. But yeah, so you see Alexander and the dog plummet to their death. Um, I do want to touch on that little moment where he has that hallucination um, where he realizes he has to go back into the coffin. I thought it was really like strong symbolism for what the character kind of went through overcoming his own personal issues. I just don't think his character deserved such like a kind of a grand finale because like that was really kind of like a cool moment where you saw him overcome his fears and compare it to something earlier in the movie where he lost it on his career 
basically he lost a job because of his fears. So now this time he's like saying, fuck you. I'm not going to let this get the best of me again. I'm going to overcome it. Um, I wish this character had more likable traits about him because I would really want to see him overcome his personal traumas. I do feel like his being scared of tunnels is not enough for me to care uh, about this, but it is still like a cool moment. And it does make for the the lead character to have a somewhat of redeeming uh, final moment overall. I do like that he has this moment of kind of overcoming that. But that ending. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It gives us, you know, like the character kind of comes full circle. It's it's proper character development, right? The character overcomes their their main obstacle, you know, the main conflict that they had throughout the film he's able to overcome it and then yeah so holly wakes up and immediately thinks that sam is a necrophiliac he's a corpse fucker (laughs) yeah corpse fucker (laughs) yeah and so she won't get out of the hole so he's like just standing there like what the fuck am i supposed to do that really is like the moment that they're left on like the camera pulls away holly body is like sitting in the, the hole she refuses to come out Jake is like, oh, well, I guess you're not going to come out of the hole then. And you you kind of think like, honestly, like watching that moment, I really expected Sam or that dog to come out of the water and like have one last final moment <laughs> because of the way it's set up. But it doesn't happen. No, it does not happen. And, you know, yeah, and, and you're, you, you're really left. There's really no sort of resolution between these two characters either. I mean, we the next scene, I guess, hints at maybe that they are good with each other i don't know because it because it cuts to him back on set he's gotten his job as the vampire back right oh lucky him and they are doing this shower scene where you know he's like showering with this naked broad and like rubbing her breasts and stuff but they're doing a body double a stand-in for the nude scene and this woman she gets in the shower and she immediately is like my Breasts are very sensitive, and I'm on my period. <laughs> oh my, Judith, the body double. In my mind, she's the titular character. She's the body double. It's all come down to her. <laughs> so he's in the shower, and you do see, you know, the, the the credits start to roll. I mean, this is this is how the ending scene of the film is very um, boob boob heavy because the the credits are playing over him sensually rubbing this woman's breasts. And he's like, is that too much? And she's like, no. And he's rubbing her breasts and rubbing her breasts. And the credits are rolling. Credits are rolling. The camera pans to the crowd. And Holly is there. She's watching everything. So she's part of this production now or something, apparently. And then the vampire takes a bite out of this woman. And we are treated to about 30 seconds of blood running down bare breasts. It's just areolas poking through blood. Um, I do like that Holly has this moment when the actress like steps aside for the body double to step in. Holly like leans over and she's like, you're going to get a lot of dates after this. Like she's like reassuring the girl, just supporting her. I'm like, that's very much a Holly body kind of move, supporting her fellow woman in her industry. Yeah. And I mean, then the credits go black and that is the end of the film. That is body double. It is body double. And I will say... Overall, the area of the most interest in this movie is the body double, is Holly Body. Melanie Griffith definitely um, is the most captivating aspect of this movie. And it does make me wonder, like, what could have been if this movie would have been aware of what a a scene sealer she would have been in this role and maybe shifted the focus more to her, or at least let her just be a bigger chunk of the overall storyline. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the film picks up. 
I mean, this is a film that I feel like could have been trimmed down quite a bit. Uh, I understand, you know, it's De Palma. I understand his filmmaking style as the the long shots and the drawn out walking and the drawn out following characters around with the camera. Okay, I get that, but uh, I mean, for a film that has a main character that's not very dynamic, I just found like a lot of these uh, slower moments uh, with him just lurking around and following people around. I just didn't really land well with me. I just really didn't care because I don't really necessarily care about this particular character because he's so like bland. Um, He does pick up towards the final moments of the film and gets a little bit more to do, but still this is a two hour movie. And for a two hour movie, not a lot happens. I mean, look at our, this is an hour and 30 minutes. We've gone well over two hours on movies half this time that are half that that are half this length. That's how much really nothing happens in this film for long extended periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. There are big chunks of this movie. that are just people being pursued, walking around, chasing each other. Uh, These long kind of drawn out suspenseful moments that that are very much um, in line with De Palma's style. But I I do feel that in this case, uh, you know, if you're going to give us this long of a film, I think it could have, packed a little more punch in the sense of the events that transpired and how they were connected together. Um, yeah, I just feel that, you know, the, the focus of the movie is probably the weakest aspect, which is uh, Scully's kind of, you know, personal journey, both overcoming his own fears and kind of identifying this whole kind of Hitchcockian finale. One thing, one Hitchcock moment I did want to touch on, we didn't give a lot of credit to is that final moment in the grave where he's looking up and he's, Sam's given his monologue and the whole like grave is like stretching and it's glowing behind him and it looks really distorted. I really did appreciate moments like that. I thought there were some really cool moments sewn throughout this, but it does drag a lot. I don't think that it's paced out in its favor overall. And like I said, it just doesn't shine its focus on the most entertaining aspects of the movie. And knowing that Melanie Griffith is so great in this movie, it really makes you wish that there was just more from this character. I would watch an entire movie about Holly body in a fucking heartbeat. Oh, I would too. I mean, she makes this film and I, I can see why, you know, now looking at it now, as we've had this discussion, I can definitely see why she got a little bit of awards attention because once she hits the screen in this film, the film comes to life. And when you get a when you when you get an actor that can do that, that can inject just a whole new level of of interest in class and whatnot into a film, it means it's a good good performance. So I definitely understand now, because yeah, her moments on screen are the best of the film, minus the drill scene, which comes straight out of like Slumber Party Massacre. I, I loved it, and then the fact that Brink Stevens has a little cameo in this, haha, <laughs> funny, but. uh no, I'm glad I got to watch this. Not my favorite De Palma movie, but um, definitely, again, if you want to study De Palma, if you want to know what his trademarks as a director are and you want to kind of look at that his style, this is a great film to watch. I mean, it pairs well with Dress to Kill. You said you watched this as a double feature with Dress to Kill, and I can see those pairing very, very well together. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I, and it, it really made for a great experience. I'm happy that you got to see this because, you know, uh, critiques and criticisms I may have, I still enjoy watching this movie. And I knew that you would find aspects of this movie to take away from it as, as well um, that are just entertaining. There are elements oh, yeah. of this that are enjoyable for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I think that that's going to lead into our f- film for next week, Roger, that you also picked. And we actually mentioned it and you mentioned it. Well, you mentioned the film in this well, review. I know. Well, we, from, from one John Voigt <laughs> leading vehicle to another, <laughs> a man that looks just like John Voigt in Anaconda to John Voigt in Anaconda. Next review, we're covering the 1997 masterpiece, Creature Feature. That is Anaconda, starring the ageless Jennifer Lopez, who's got a movie coming out in the next week or two called Shotgun Wedding that I have not been able to keep my eyes off of. I'm so excited for this movie. It's a fucking rom-com. I can't wait. Jennifer Coolidge is in it. And I thought, what better time to, you know, give Jennifer Lopez her flowers than in this next episode of Dark Knight of the Podcast. Uh, anaconda, my anaconda don't want none unless you got buns. And I'm sure we're going to be making a lot of that joke. Absolutely. I've been preparing it already. Uh, I know. I know. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I haven't seen Anaconda uh, since it came out. So yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. oh, wow. I've seen Anaconda. I own Anaconda Hunt for the Blood Orchid, which I actually think is surprisingly good and doesn't get enough credit. But God, I love this movie. It is a shit show and it's so much fucking fun. And uh, yeah, what perfectly paired, <laughs> perfectly paired with this week's selection, dare I say. Yeah, no, it'll be great. It'll be great. I get to revisit it. Yay. Um, I know it's ridiculous. So I'm super excited. It'll be another example of maybe CGI we can talk about as well. Because our latest Patreon episode, Talking Bodies, is about CGI versus practical effects. So, uh, yeah, might be an interesting conversation to thread into that episode with Anaconda because I know definitely there are CGI that's used in that. So I'd be curious to see how it holds up because I haven't seen the movie forever. But, yeah, guys, join us next week for Anaconda. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, give it a share. Uh, give us a, that rating on Apple Podcast, and if you want more content, check out Patreon. Oh, that Patreon's getting good. We got some big snakes for you next week. <laughs> we like some big snakes. What a cliffhanger to leave it on! <laughs> <laughs> right. Tempting. We gave you all the titties this last episode. Next one's all about the snakes. All right, guys. Good night. Good night. <laughs>